This is Romans part 41. We are in chapter 13 this week. Um, Looks like we're going to eventually hit the one year mark going through the book of Romans. So, Um, yes, this is our 41st week in the book of Romans. Um, We try to go through it pretty detailed. So when issues come up, like when we dealt with Romans 9, that's the proof text for Calvinism. So we spent a couple of weeks there in uh, Romans chapter 9 going through that. Uh, but this week we're looking at uh, Romans 13, 1 through 5. And of course, you have some issues come up here where people take these verses to the extreme and some errors come out of these verses. Uh, so we'll deal with some of that tonight as well. Uh, but it starts out, it says, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. For there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is a minister of God to thee for good, but if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore you must needs be subject not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. So before you try to interpret these verses, you got to remember the context. Um, the context does not start here at Romans 13.1. It goes back to Romans 12, uh, what we dealt with last week. Uh, if you look at verse 19 through 21, he says, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. So the context goes back to men who would do evil, okay, or recompense evil for evil. Um, when he says in verse 19, rather give place unto wrath, he's telling Christians here, right, don't recompense evil to evil, but give place to that wrath. And giving place to the wrath is giving it to those to whom are appointed to give wrath, which is the higher powers, right? The governments, the police, right? That's their responsibility to impose judgment, right? To avenge the wrongdoing, right? If something happens to you, a crime is committed, you want to respond with, right, evil. You want to go and hurt that person or do something to them. Well, the proper response is give place to that wrath, and that's letting the government, right, take care of it because that is their uh, job as ministers of God uh, to judge evil. And so that's what Paul is dealing with in the context here, right? When you do evil, you should be afraid of those who judge evil, right? Which is, again, the power's uh, responsibility. So he says, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. So again, Christians aren't exempt from this, right? Christians are to be subject to these higher powers too. Um, Notwithstanding Romans 6.14, where it says, we are not under the law, but under grace. So again, you have people that go to the extreme. Well, we're under grace, we're not under laws, and that means we're not under America's laws. Right? You could take that extreme. Well, no, you are under America's laws as a citizen here on earth, as an ambassador for Christ over here. Right? You are under the laws here on earth, and so you have to be subject to that. Because if you're not, you're going to face the judgment from those who impose the law. Um, so again, don't take that extreme. Also in 1 Corinthians 4, 3 through 4, Paul says, But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not mine own self. For I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified. But he that judgeth me is the Lord. So again, a Christian might say, 
I don't care if you're a judge here on earth. No man judges me, right? God is my judge. Or you're going to go to prison, right? <laughs> because he is your judge here on earth. Okay, so again, you can't take some of these verses out of context. You've got to realize the context of what Paul is saying in those verses. Um, so Christians aren't exempt from being subject to these higher powers. Paul says, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. Uh, these higher powers are, again, in the context, it's the government, right? The authorities here on earth. Um, God has instituted things in the earth, and he set up higher powers or authorities in those institutions. Um, if you go to Ephesians 5.22, God instituted marriage, and he says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. So here you actually have two institutions and two heads of those institutions. The husband is the head of the wife, right? So the wife is to submit to the husband's authority in that marriage, okay? That's an institution by God, and he placed the husband as the head. But in the second verse, it says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, right? The church, the body of Christ, is another institution of God. And who's the head of the church? Christ. And so every Christian is subject to Christ. Okay, so you have these institutions that God has placed, um, and then he places authorities in those institutions, and you subject yourself to that authority. Uh, Ephesians 6.1, children obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Family, right, another institution of God. Who's the authority in the family? What's the parents? And the children obey the parents, right, because this is right, the right thing to do in the Lord. So you, kids subject themselves to the parents as the authority in the institution of the family. Um, Ephesians one twenty two is uh, the church. He says the eyes, or he says they have put all things under his feet, speaking of Christ, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. So again, Christ is the head of the church. He is over all things to the church. We are subject to him. Right? He is our head as members of the body of Christ. First um, Corinthians twelve twenty eight. So Christ is the head. We all answer to him. But even in the church. There was positions, or are positions. It says, God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers. After that, miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversity of tongues. So when you had these spiritual gifts with the founding of the body of Christ, right, there was positions there. And he says, first is the apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, so on and so forth. So you had this line of authority within the body of Christ uh, with those spiritual gifts. Um, even today, when you read like Timothy and Titus, Right. You have bishops, you have elders, you have deacons. These are people that hold authority in the church. They're not the authority of right, how you live, but they rule. Right? They help with interpreting the scriptures. Right? They teach it. And so you go up under their authority as a teacher. Right? So again, you verify with the word of God, which is ultimately who you are subject to as a member of the body of Christ. Um, but again, you have these positions within these institutions that God has instituted. And then the other institution is government. So God ordained these powers. He instituted government. Um, people say Genesis 9-6 is where you see uh, the first mention of human government. And it doesn't say this here, but their point is that God gave judgment to man to execute judgment here in Roman, uh, Genesis 9-6. So of course this is after the flood when Noah and them comes off and he tells Noah, he says, Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. 
So he's now telling Noah, if someone, if a man kills another man, you kill that man. Right, so he's giving judgment to Noah to execute judgment on the evildoer. Right? So they say this is when God started government. Right? The authorities that minister evil, that minister judgment to those who do evil. Okay? Right, so you see that institution of God giving judgment to man to execute judgment on the evildoers. Uh, ultimately, though, God is the highest power. Uh, Romans 2, 5 through 6. It says, But after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasures up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and the revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds. So God, of course, is that judge. He will judge in the end every man according to his deeds. So every man will answer to God in the end. Uh, Daniel 4, 24 through 25. This is the story of Nebuchadnezzar, who was king of Babylon. And he has this dream. And, of course, Babylon was right, the biggest kingdom on the earth at this point. It was the ruler of all the nations. And he has this dream, and Daniel interprets the dream. He says, This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my lord the king, that they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and they shall wet thee with the dew of heaven. And seven times shall pass over thee, till thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. So, of course, Nebuchadnezzar was raised up in pride. He said, I have the greatest kingdom on earth. Look at this kingdom that I have built. And God judged him for that. And he made him to be like a beast in the field, right, to humble him. And then Nebuchadnezzar said, you are the Most High God, right? And God again restored the kingdom to him. But just that point that God, right, is the ultimate power. Right? He is the ultimate power. So we should ultimately be subject to him. Uh, and then, of course, Colossians 1.16 says, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. So Christ created all things, principalities and powers. So again, the powers here on earth, they were created by Christ. The powers in heaven were created by Christ. All things are created by him and for him. So again, he is that greatest uh, that greatest power because he created the other powers. So in the end, everything will answer to God. Um, but the point here is that we here on earth are to be subject to the powers that God ordained, right, to execute judgment. Uh, so again, you got to remember the context. He's talking about those who would de do evil here on earth, right? Don't recompense evil with evil, uh, but rather overcome evil with good. If you're going to do evil, you're going to face the wrath of those who punish the evil here on earth is his point here in the context uh, so he says uh, be subject unto the higher powers for there is no power but of god the powers that be are ordained of god so this is a verse that people take and say well the powers that be are ordained of god right biden is our president because god ordained that right they take the powers to be the position in power okay that's not what it says here it says the power the position is what was ordained by god not the people that sit in those positions. Okay? Um, so we are to be subject to the positions that hold authority in our country. Okay? Not the people. When Barack Obama went out of presidency, we're no longer subject to Barack Obama because he's no longer in that position of power. 
Okay, it's the positions that have the power, right? Not the person in position. Donald Trump, he no longer has authority in America because he's not in that position. Okay, so we hold to, uh, subject to the position. That's what it means by it says the powers. It's those positions of authority in governments, uh, not the people that sit in them. So God didn't ordain the individual people in each position, right? Rather, he ordained the positions themselves. Uh, so again, a lot of people mistake that, and they'll say, right, well, God chose this person to be in power, so we need to be subject to everything he says. Well, no, that's wrong. Okay, that's not what Paul's saying here. Uh, he says, whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God. All right, so if you resist the power, you're resisting a ordinance of God. Uh, the word ordinance here means an arrangement. Right, it's like something that was set in order. Okay, God set powers uh, to set things in order. Uh, you see this in 1 Corinthians 11. Paul uses this word. And of course, the Corinthians were a very unorganized church. Had a lot of sins. They were very carnal. He says at the beginning of 1 Corinthians eleven two, he says, Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. So Paul delivered ordinances to the Corinthians, and he's telling them to keep them. And at the end of verse, uh, at the end of chapter eleven, he says, If any man hunger, let him eat at home, that you come not together into condemnation, and the rest will I set in order when I come. So he's telling them, Keep these ordinances that I gave you, and then the rest I'm going to set in order when I get there. Right, so ordinance has to do with an arrangement, right? An order, something to keep order. So if you're resisting the powers that be, you're resisting an ordinance of God, something that God has arranged to set things in order. Okay. Um, he says, they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. So again, if you resist these powers, you're going to receive damnation. Not damnation from God, damnation from the powers. Right? Again, that's their role. It's to judge those who do evil. So if you resist the government and say, well, I don't have to listen to you. God is my judge. You're going to receive damnation right, from the government because they're going to say, okay, well, let's see if God saves you when we come to arrest you, right? God says, no, you subject yourself to them uh, because they're the ministers uh, of good. Uh, so again, the role of the powers is not to give salvation, but to give punishment to evildoers. Okay, that is the role of the powers. Uh, verse 3, he says, For rulers are not a terror of good works, but to the evil. Wilt that then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of your same. So the purpose of the powers is to judge the evildoers and to praise those who do good. So Christians should be receiving praise often, right? Because we are to be doing good works. Uh, Ephesians 2.10 says that God ordained works. It says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, unto good work, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. All right, so God ordained before that we should walk in good works. Uh, Titus 3.8 says, This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. He says those who believe in God should be careful to maintain good works because it's profitable unto men. Um, in Titus 2, verse 8, or verse 6 through 8, it says, Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded, in all things showing thyself a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, 
sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say. So he's uh, exhorting them to maintain good works, right, to be unblameable, so that when someone comes against you to accuse you, well, they have nothing to say, right, because you do maintain good works, right, you do live a righteous life. And so what can they say about you when they right, try to accuse you of something because you do good works? Right, so as Christians, we are to do good works. Right, we are to live righteously. So we should not be afraid of the powers. Right, we should be receiving praise of the powers because it's their responsibility to judge evil and praise good. Okay, that's what they were ordained to do. Uh, so Christians should not be afraid of the government. Right, rather they should be receiving praise from the government uh, for doing good. It says, "For he is the minister of God to thee for good." So if the powers are not ministering that which is good, then they are not fulfilling the purpose as ministers of God. So again, sometimes government does go bad, and they minister evil, right? They minister things contrary to God. At that point, they're no longer ministers for God, right? Because they're now contrary to God. They're no longer fulfilling the purpose that God instituted government for, right? Rather, they're contrary to it. So the purpose of government is to... Uh, minister that which is good to the people, right? And so when they go contrary to that, they're no longer ministers for God. It says, for he, but if thou will, uh, but if, they, if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, or avenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. So again, if you do contrary to the powers, he said you need to be afraid, right? Because he doesn't minister the sword in vain. Right? If you go and hold up the bank, and you don't give up, you're probably going to get shot, right? <laughs> they don't minister the sword in vain, is what he's saying here. You need to be afraid if you're going against the government, because they're going to judge you, right? They're going to uh, come after you, right? And they're going to kill you if that's what it takes, right? So again, he says, be afraid of the power if you're going to do evil. Uh, but it says, he is the minister of God, or avenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. So again, the context is back to Romans 12, where he says, vengeance is God, right? Don't avenge yourself as a Christian. Don't recompense evil with evil. He says here, again, the powers are a revenger of wrath, right? You let the powers revenge you when something happens to you, when someone commits a crime against you. Um, if someone steals from you, it's okay to want justice and to get your stuff back, but you don't go take it by your own power. you rather call the police, right? And let them handle it because that's their job. That's their role that God instituted. Okay? Um, they are the revengers to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. He says, Wherefore, ye must need to be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. So again, you need to be subject, not just because you're going to get the wrath if you're not, but also for a good conscience, right? To maintain a good conscience. Um, and you see this with Paul in Acts. Um, again, Paul teaches, right, we're not under the law, but when you read the book of Acts, you see Paul keeping laws, especially when he goes to Jerusalem. He's keeping the laws there. And people ask questions, well, why is Paul doing this if he's, you know, not under the law or teaching we're not under the law? Well, the reason was to win the Jews and also to maintain a good conscience before them so that they could not say anything against him. And you see this when Paul goes on trial at the end of the book of Acts, uh, Acts chapter 22 through the end of the chapter, he gives defense for himself. He constantly says, if I've done something evil, judge me. But where's my accusers, right? They cannot say I've done anything evil. I've not even broken their laws. 
Um, so he maintained that good conscience. Um, Acts 23, 1 through 5, it says, And Paul, earnestly beholding the counsel, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded them that stood by him to smite him on the mouth. So again, Ananias is the high priest. He would be the power in Paul's day. Then said Paul unto him, God shall smite thee, thou white at wall. For sittest thou to judge me after the law, and commandest me to be smitten contrary to the law? So Paul speaks out against the high priest, but he did not know it was the high priest. Because the next verse it says, And they that stood by said, Revilest thou God's high priest? Then said Paul, I wist not, brethren, that he was the high priest, for it is written, Thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. So once Paul realized it was the high priest, he gave reverence to that position. He said, Well, I didn't know it was the high priest. You know, the law says, right, don't speak evil of the high priest. So he's like, well, I'm sorry, I didn't know that it was the high priest. So you see Paul giving that reverence uh, to the higher powers in his day. Um, Acts 24, 11 through 21. So this is Paul giving uh, testimony to the governor. He says, Because that thou mayest understand that there are yet but twelve days since I went up to Jerusalem for to worship. And they neither found me in the temple disputing with any man, neither raising up the people, neither in the synagogues nor in the city. Neither can they prove the things whereof they now accuse me. But this I confess unto thee, that after the way which they call heresy, so worship I the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets. And I have hoped toward God, which they themselves also allow, that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and unjust. And herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men, now, after many years, I came to bring alms to my nation and offerings, whereupon certain Jews from Asia found me purified in the temple, neither with multitude nor with tumult, who ought to have been here before thee and object if they had ought against me, or else let these same here say if they have found any evil doing in me while I stood before the council. Except it be for this one voice that I cried, standing among them, touching the resurrection of the dead, I am called in question by you this day. So Paul says... My accusers aren't even here because there's nothing they can say about me. He said they found me in the temple purifying myself, and I wasn't raising up a, a crowd or right, doing tumult, causing up tumult, right, raising up a riot against the Jews. He said, no, I was keeping their law and doing what the law says. And he says the only thing I'm standing in question is the resurrection of the dead, which they themselves allow, right? right that's the hope of Israel was the resurrection, right? Uh, so again, you see his, uh, he maintained a good conscience, he says, before God and men. So you see Paul um, maintaining that good conscience. And then Acts 25, 8 through 12, says, While he answered for himself, neither against the law of the Jews, neither against the temple, nor yet against Caesar, have I offended anything at all. But Festus, willing to do the Jews a pleasure, answered Paul and said, Without go up to Jerusalem, and there be judged of these things before me? This said Paul, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat where I ought to be judged. To the Jews have I done no wrong, as thou very well knowest. For if I be an offender or have committed anything worthy of death, I refuse not to die. But if there be none of these things whereof these accuse me, no man may deliver me unto them, I appeal unto Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with the council, answered, Hast thou appealed unto Caesar? Unto Caesar shalt thou go. So Festus wanted to do the Jews a favor, right? So he's like... I'm going to make you be judged by the Jews, Paul. And Paul says, you can't. Right? Um, a citizen of Rome, 
I'm supposed to be judged by Caesar because I've appealed to Caesar. So again, the other point here too is you see Paul appealing to the court system, right? So again, he didn't just, well, whatever you say, Caesar, right? Or Festus, right? You're the authority here. You know, anything you say. No, he rather appealed to the court system, right? He used the court system and said, I appealed to Caesar. That's where I'm supposed to be judged, right? You know I've done nothing wrong. Why are you going to make me be judged to the Jews? I'm appealing unto Caesar. So again, you see Paul giving reverence to the court system, but also using it lawfully, okay? He didn't just submit and say, well, you're the ordained power of God, and I subject to you whatever you say, right? Again, that's not what Paul's saying in Romans 13, okay? Because Festus wanted to do something evil, right? The purpose of the ordained powers is to minister good, right? And so you see Paul saying, I haven't done nothing wrong. You can't make me be judged by the Jews. I'm appealing to Caesar. Uh, so again, don't take this to mean that well, we have to be subject to anything the government says, whether it's good or bad. No, they were ordained by God to minister good. When they minister evil, they are no longer being the ministers of God, right? And so that's all we're going to cover as far as Romans uh, tonight. But I'm going to deal with some errors to avoid from this passage. And we kind of touched on them briefly. Uh, but the first one is that God put those people in power. So as I said earlier, when it says the ordained powers, it's the positions, not the people. Um, if God ordained the positions, um, if the person in the power is ordained of God and ministers evil instead of good, then you've just made God the author of evil, right? Because if you said, God put this person here, ordained them to be here, and then that person ministers evil, well, God just ordained evil, right? And the context is God ordained the powers to minister good, is what Paul says. Right, so he's not going to put someone in position to minister evil when he ordained the position to minister good, right? So again, that's what you're doing when you say it's the people that were ordained by God to be in power. Also, if God ordained that person to be in there, then you need to listen to everything that person says because God wants them there, right? So again, you can see this error when you think it's the person that was ordained by God. It's not. It's the position. Uh, the other error that comes out of this is we have to do everything the powers say, right? We have to be subject to the powers. So anything the government says, we have to do it. Well, again, not if they are ministering evil. Uh, Colossians 2.20, if the powers are contrary to sound doctrine, then you should not obey, right? You should not listen. Paul says, wherefore, if you be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are you subject to ordinances? Taste not, uh, touch not, taste not, handle not, which are all, which all are to perish with using after the commandments and doctrines of men. So again, he's talking about the law of God here, right? We're not under the law. He says, so why are you going to be subject to that? But what if someone in our government tried to make everyone be subject to the Old Testament law, right? Israel's law. You couldn't eat certain foods. You couldn't only wear certain clothes. And they said you had to do that to be righteous. What would be the Christian's response? Well, we have to do that because it's the higher power. That person's ministering false doctrine. We should speak out against that, right? Well, no, this is false. We are free in Christ. We're not under the law, right? Christ is our head. We're saved by grace alone through faith, not by our works. Our works can't justify us. So why are we going to be subject to these ordinances, touch not, taste not, handle not? Right, so again, if that were to happen, we should go contrary to that because that power is ministering false doctrine, right? Uh, so when someone's ministering evil, you don't submit. In Romans twelve nine, Paul says, uh, Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. 
So again, if a minister is ministering evil, you should abhor what they're ministering, right? If the powers are ordaining evil, you abhor that, right? You don't cleave to it, you abhor it, okay? And then Proverbs seventeen fifteen. Is he that justifieth the wicked, and he that condemneth the just, even they both are an abomination to the Lord. So again, those that justify the wicked and condemn the just, those people are an abomination to the Lord. So if the powers, the government, are justifying the wicked and condemning the just, we should call them what they are. They're an abomination. Right? They're doing what's wrong. They're not doing what God ordained them to do. And we should speak out against that. And so when government is wrong, and is contrary to the word of God, we should fight back, okay? But not with physical weapons, right? We do not fight back with uh, physical swords, but with spiritual weapons, right? We're not Israel setting up an earthly kingdom. That's why in the Old Testament, you see Israel fighting with physical swords and physical weapons because they were there to set up a physical kingdom on earth with righteousness. That's not the body of Christ's job. We're ambassadors. This is not where we are. We have a position in heavenly places, it says. So we fight with spiritual warfare, which is what Paul says um, in Ephesians 6, 11 through 13. It says, Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against the spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Again, you stand against the wicked, against the wiles of the devil. But you realize that you're not fighting a physical battle here. It's a spiritual battle, a spiritual warfare. In 2 Corinthians 10, 3-6, says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ, and having in readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So he says there, our weapons of warfare are not carnal, right? They're spiritual weapons, right? And they are mighty in God to the pulling down of strongholds. So again, you have evil policies, maybe they're contrary to God, you speak truth to that, right? You say, well, that's wrong, that's disobedient to God, this is the truth, this is what we need to be doing. So again, you don't go to the abortion clinic and kill the doctor who just performed the abortion, right? You don't go to the White House and kill any politician who's pro-choice and that's contrary to pro-life, okay, no, it's not what you do. You rather speak to them, this is wrong, right? What you're doing is murder. You're going against God. You're ministering evil, not good. You're supposed to minister good. Right? And so you speak the truth to them um, and you resist. If they tell you you have to perform the abortion, you say no. Right? I'm not going to do that. That would be contrary to what God would have me do. Right? If you were a politician and a Christian and they say we need you to sign this bill, it's this pro choice bill, blah, blah, blah. Well, no, I'm not doing that. Right? No matter the consequences. Because again, you stand up for what is right. Right, you put on the armor of God so that you can stand against evil. Uh, but you do not fight with carnal weapons. We fight with spiritual weapons. Um, 2 Timothy 4, 7, Paul says, I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. I have fought a good fight. 
So Paul says he fought a good fight. Well, nowhere do you see Paul, again, the Jews, the rulers in the Jerusalem, right? They beat Paul. They went against Paul. The Romans went against Paul. They imprisoned Paul, beat him. Nowhere do you see him take up arms and fight against him, right? But he says, I have fought the good fight. Well, he's talking about that spiritual fight, right? When he stood before Festus and them, he gave testimony to how he was saved, right? He didn't crumble and say, well, you're the higher powers, you know, whatever you say. No, he spoke truth to them. Like we just saw, he says, I'm appealing to Caesar because that's my right. You have no right to make me be judged of the Jews. Right? So he went against them when they were wrong, right? Um, the powers in Paul's day were evil, though, and he desired to see them safe. If you go to Titus 3, 1 through 5, he says something similar to Romans 13. He says, put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work. So he's telling them the same thing here, right? Put those that Titus was ministering to, to be subject to principalities and powers, and to obey magistrates. He said, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, and hating one another. So he says, we also were. In other words, he's saying these magistrates, powers, and principalities are these things, right? So he says, we also were like these magistrates and right, people in power. And you see this list here. They're foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, and hating one another. Kind of sounds like Washington, D.C., don't it? Right. And Paul says, be subject to them. That's what he's telling Titus. Right, be subject to the magistrates. He says, But after that, the kindness and love of God, our Savior, toward man appear, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So again, he says, we were sometimes like that, but the grace of God appeared. Right? We are saved not by works, but by his righteousness. And so he would desire that those in leadership be saved the same way. Same thing in 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4. He says, I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all goodness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come into a knowledge of the truth. So he says, you pray for those in authority so that we can live a good and peaceful life. He says that God would have all men to be saved. So he would have those in leadership to be saved. So we can live a peaceable life. Right? And so they will minister good as they are supposed to. Um, so here below you have some examples of saints in the Bible that resisted rulers who were not God's ministers. So again, you see examples throughout the Bible where the powers were evil, right? They weren't ministering good. They were ministering evil. And saints in the Bible resisted them, right? They disobeyed because what the government was saying was evil. Um, you had the Hebrew midwives who feared God and disobeyed the king of Egypt. So when Egypt told the Hebrew midwives to kill all the male children that were born, they disobeyed. They didn't do it, right? Because again, that was wrong. Uh, Moses' parents broke the law and they hid Moses alive for three months. So again, Moses came out of that, right? They were supposed to kill Moses when he was born. But they disobeyed and hid him, right, for three months. 
it says in Hebrews that Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, right? Because he was not, right? He was not going to be part of that wickedness in Egypt, right? Rather, he was going to be a Hebrew, that he was, and he was going to obey the true God. Uh, Moses defied Pharaoh and forsook Egypt, fearing not the king, right? So you think about Exodus, how uh, Moses defied Egypt, right? He defied Pharaoh. Uh, you can go back and read that in Exodus. Rahab resisted her own authorities to hide the Jewish spies. So again, the Jews spies, the two spies that went in, Rahab hit them, right, and saved their lives. So she defied, again, her, her rulers. Jael nailed a ruler to the ground with a tent peg. So you've heard the story of Jael when she killed the person with the tent peg. That was a ruler there. Samson resisted lords among the Philistines. David intentionally escaped and hid from the pursuit of King Saul. Right, so Saul was king. He wanted David killed. David didn't say, well, I subject to your authority. Here I am. Kill me. <laughs> right? He resisted. Uh, he hid. Mordecai did not bow down to worship Haman. Right, so you remember the story of Esther. Mordecai, he didn't bow down to Haman because Haman's not God. He said, I only bow to the true God. Right? Um, Elijah disobeyed the orders of the wicked king Ahab. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego resisted Nebuchadnezzar. That's probably one of the more popular ones. Right? They didn't bow down to the idol. Um, Daniel ignored the unjust law of the righteous king Darius. Right? He still prayed his three dimes a day as the law commanded. Uh, of course, Amos and the prophets, they spoke against unrighteousness in Israel's kings and priests. So the prophets speak out against the kings and priests in Israel that were unrighteous. Right? And they have prophecies against them how they're going to be judged. John the Baptist was arrested for identifying adultery in the ruler's house. So in, John, uh, in Matthew 14, he tells uh, the ruler there that you were sleeping with, I think it was his sister's wife or something like that. But he's Brother. calling him out his brother's wife. Not sister's wife. Brother's wife. <laughs> yeah. Brother's wife. <laughs> yeah. Um, he calls him out on his adultery, right? And he gets in prison for it and, of course, beheaded. Um, Jesus rebuked the rulers in Israel. So, of course, Jesus rebuked the Pharisees. He rebuked uh, the rulers. Uh, he broke commandments of men that were not gods. So, again, you think about um, when his disciples ate without washing their hands, and they were like, well, what are they doing? Jesus is like, well, this is your tradition. Right? I didn't command this in the law. It's what comes out of the body that defiles a man, not what goes in it. Right, so you see Jesus defiling the authorities, but they were man-made laws, right? not God's law. Um, Jesus, again, avoided the rulers who were trying to arrest him. So again, Jesus didn't just say, well, here I am the first time they wanted to arrest him. right? Arrest me. He resisted. Right? It wasn't time for him to die on the cross. Then. The angel of God resisted the unrighteous rulers by freeing Peter. So Peter was in prison. The angel came and freed him. Well, the authorities wanted him in prison. What are you doing, right? You're supposed to be subject to that. But again, they're ministering evil. You don't have to be subject because they're not doing what God ordained them to do. Um, Peter ignored the command of the rulers in Jerusalem when they told them, right, don't speak about this man, Jesus. He said, no, we're going to speak about Jesus, right, because we've seen him with our eyes. He's the Messiah. He's the Christ. We're going to preach Christ in his resurrection. Uh, Paul took the high priest of Israel to court to prove his innocence. We saw that in Acts 25. Uh, Paul fled from rulers he had offended and were trying to capture him. Paul was arrested and thrown in jail for doing ministry. And Paul resisted the order of the magistrates. So again, you see Paul resisting uh, rulers in his ministry. 
So any thoughts or questions on this? Again, I feel like a lot of people take from this and you know, have some errors come out of it. Um, but you got to realize the context. He's talking about those who would do evil. These powers were ordained to judge that. Right? They are ministers of God for good, not for evil. Um, so as Christians, we should not seek to do evil to others. Right? We should give place to wrath. Right? That's their job to enforce the judgment. But we don't just bow down and say, well, whatever they say, we're subject to. Right? If it's wrong, if it's contrary to the Bible, if it's ministering evil, we speak out against it. Right? We speak the truth. And we don't subject ourselves to that. So any thoughts or comments?